Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 podcast. Very great episode here for you today. Something a little bit different. We've talked about trying to uh, stretch our boundaries a little bit. And and while we're not going to go into doing a Top 5 Motley Crew or anything, we might delve into things that are sort of uh, uh, prog related or prog adjacent, which is a new term uh, that has just been sprung upon me the last few days that I think works in this, this particular case. Um, but let me welcome our two guests. Uh, Jeff Bailey is joining us once again. Of course. Hello, of course. everybody. <laughs> I had to change it up that time. And, uh, um, and uh, well, we'd always like to try and bring on a musician, somebody that, uh, you know, might have something new coming out or something interesting to talk about to join us with this. And uh, really happy to welcome from the Neil Morse Band, uh, Mr. Bill Hubauer. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Bill. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Um, we have a, a weird topic today, or maybe not that weird for people listening. We think that the uh, Electric Light Orchestra are very prog related, or ELO as they're known to most people nowadays. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to say, and I think for you, Jeff, as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the kind of probably two or three, whenever I first got into music, when I was probably um, eight or nine, I suppose. And that was certainly in the UK, you know, ELO were on TV and, um, you know, they were in the charts and um, them and Queen were probably the two bands that, you know, were my bands whenever I was, whenever I was very young. I, yeah, I remember, I mean, looking back when I was first getting into music really, really young, there's there's like four bands that I recall listening to the most. I'm sure there were a dozen others, but it was definitely Kiss and, and Def Leppard at first. I've talked about that. Um, and then Genesis and then ELO. I mean, I, I was obsessed yeah. with this band and I'm a big, uh, big Jeff Lynn fan. And I love all those records, even the ones that came out in the 80s. And he's released a couple of great uh, new ones. Uh, Bill, I mean, where where do you lie in... in discovering ELO and uh, being yeah. a fan. Well, I'm really happy that you guys are pretty deep fans because I'm not quite as deep as you guys. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your picks because then I'll know, I'll know what I should go check out that maybe some of the deeper cuts that, that I might not be as familiar with. Um, I, there's sort of a, uh, this concept that I don't know if I've ever heard anybody talk about this, but there, there's a lot of, really, really interesting music, really interesting albums that had I heard them when they came out, hmm. I probably would have just been totally in love with them. But then you discover them later in life and there are various reasons. Sometimes it's the production, sometimes it's just uh, the genre, but you can't, you can't get into it as much later. But when, you know, back in the day, had I been more exposed to it, I think I would have been a much bigger fan. And I think for me, ELO definitely falls into that category. There's a lot of songs uh, that I that I love, but I was never really uh, an album fan for ELO. Uh, 
because I, I just wasn't at the time in my life when I would have been more the most, uh, um, you know, influenced by them. I, I wasn't yeah. listening. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with them. Yeah. I mean, I think I hope maybe people that sort of only know this band from, you know, don't bring me down or evil woman or, or Mr. Blue sky, you know, things like that. I mean, they have like dozens of hits, but if you only know them from that, maybe listening to this podcast, you might realize that in fact, they really were practically a prog band. The first three or four albums, um, mm. really long songs, really adventurous things, 12 minute epics. I mean, it was before they got to the pop hits. This was a really experimental band. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know what songs will come from what era from all of us, but uh, but we'll see. But Jeff, I mean, you want to talk about a little bit of a background on on ELO so that people that maybe aren't as familiar know who we're talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose the history of it is interesting. Um, one of the first actual kind of rock biog books I got was, was a book about ELO um, called The Electric Light Orchestra Story. And if you don't know, they... they they originated out of a, a, a British band called The Move, who had a run of hit singles in the late 1960s. Um, Blackberry Way, I Can Hear the Grass Grow, Fire Brigade. And they were sort of quite a, they were quite a controversial band. You know, they did things like, you know, bought TVs and smashed them up on stage and this kind of, you know, auto-destruct art type stuff. And, um, but the hits dried up and, um, they, you know, ended up sort of playing the sort of cabaret supper club circuit in the north of England, you know, and all this bizarre hippie wear and the north of England was sort of quite a conservative place and they'd get, you know, booed and shouted off stage. And while all of this was going on, Roy Wood sort of dreamed of this notion of the electric light orchestra. And this was even before Jeff Lynne was 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 part of the move because he joined sort of in the in the in the very latter period of the move. Um you know, but 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 the idea was um, picking up what you know where I'm the role, Walrus left uh, left off, you know, with the cellos and the horns and bring all of that in where maybe the Beatles had gone back after that sort of very experimental phase to sort of let it be and you know two guitars, bass and drums mostly. Um, and actually, what happened was that Jeff Jeff Lynne joined and. The three guys, three of the four people from the move, which is Roy Wood, Jeff Lynne, and Bev Bevan, the drummer, um, signed a contract um, to make albums as a new band uh, with Harvest, which was the EMI label that had Pink Floyd, it had Barkley James Harvest, mm. the Sid Barrett solo albums got released on that. So it was it was the prog label, yeah. and the first couple of albums were pretty. I think it's fair to say they're pretty hard to listen to, to be honest, even as an ELO fan. Um, and Roy Wood sort of tired of the, I, I think, the sort of shared responsibility. I think the very first hit single they had was 105.38 Overture, which was a Jeff right. Lynne song, which pretty much defined what we know as the ELO sound. And it, and it sort of shifted the balance of power um, to him. And so Roy Wood went and did his own thing and I suppose ELO kind of grew from there but you know very much those early albums were a whole mixture you know mixing up things that hadn't really been put together before um, and I suppose that's part of the definition of of prog rock I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. The first album is is especially sort of sonically hard to listen to. It sounds very much like a demo uh, yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, the, the, of course, then we'll get into it. But the sound evolved and he, he became a production genius and, and later on went to produce, you know, everybody. Uh, Tom, Tom yep. Petty, Brian Adams, uh, Paul McCartney, The Beatles, uh, Roy Orbison, um, uh, the list goes on and on. And uh, he's just a, a genius. Um, so we'll get into that. That's a little bit of a history. I want to talk to you, Bill, a little bit about what's going on in your world, of course. Uh, the New Morse Band is releasing The uh, Great Adventor live in Brno. Uh, comes out in about a month as we're doing this, March 6th. Um, an amazing live release. Comes out on Blu-ray and CD. Uh, you know, we want to talk about that a little bit, putting that together, what the tour was like. Wow, yeah. That was like, uh, gosh, coming up on a year ago now already. Mm. So it's Amazing. it's hard to believe. I, I can't believe it. But uh, it was really the last, of course, uh, the uh, Similitude Tour, too, was, was pretty special. The, the last couple of tours have just been so good. Uh, every night, except for, for technical problems that happened in a couple shows, it was just every night just worked. And and it would, it would be really hard to pick a special night out of out of those runs, uh, one that stood above all the rest because they were all so good. Um, Berno was great. The, it had a really interesting room there, very curvy, like the balconies had these weird curves, almost like a spaceship or something. It's kind of strange looking. I think you can see some of that in the in the video. Um, the the thing when I when I saw the uh, you know the the rough drafts or whatever the rough cuts to, to approve uh, for the first time. Uh, I was really really happy. I thought I of all the live releases that we've done so far, and it is kind of this what a weird world that you know people expect that there's a live release from every album. You know, you, know, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, our favorite bands from the '70s. If we got one live album, we were lucky. You know, yeah. uh, and uh, so, but, but so we've done a lot of live albums, and even before the Neil Morse Band, you know, there were uh, like Momentum Tour when I was in the band, but it was you know Neil Neil's thing. Uh, we had stuff from that, but I think this is probably my my favorite because for me, it's it's the most authentic uh, from as far as the performance goes. There's you know there's always a temptation of fixing up things because you think like, oh, this, this one, I messed up this one part so bad and it's going to just ruin it for everybody. And so you feel like you want to fix it because you don't want anybody to, to, uh, uh, you know, be taking out, taken out of the moment because of a mistake. But, you know, I don't think it's a secret that bands do fix up their live recordings. And this one, I just like, you know what, unless it's like, just it's got to be pr- like my threshold of like am I going to fix anything right was really really high and it was like it's it's got to be something bad so I hardly did anything to it uh and so I just was real happy with with like wow you know because th- that's pretty much what it sounded like and 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 it, it, I thought it was a great performance and so anyway I just I just feel I feel like it was very authentic and it's it's a great performance and uh, it's, if you're, you know, it'll be fun to watch. I agree. I mean, in I, I'm with you a little bit, sort of where it's the oh, here comes another live album, right? Of an album I just heard <laughs> the other day. 
Um, but th there is something about this one. I when I listened to uh, this performance uh, again, it's it just jumps out of the speakers, um, and the band sound totally in sync, and the songs just sound refreshed again. I mean, it's just really really great to even just to listen to without watching uh, the yeah. the video. I think it's just really great, and of course. I want to mention the uh, awesome uh, medley that you guys do for the encore, which if anybody hasn't heard that by now, I'm so excited that it's going to be on record for people to have because it's just about the greatest thing ever, ever created. <laughs> uh, I'm dying to know the story behind that. Well, I, I'm famous, famously known for hating medleys. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and there's, there's, number of exceptions over the years of bands that I thought, man, that was, that was really well done. That was a great medley. Uh, um, because we all, in our minds, we all think we want to hear every song. I want to hear that whole song. I want to hear that whole song. But the reality is you, you know, you can't hear all those songs in one show because it would be, you know, a six hour show. <laughs> but, uh, so I was, so Mike had the idea and I was like, oh, I don't know. And, and, but the, what sold it for me was, he says, but we'll make it, it'll be chronological, like one thing from, from every album. And then I was like, okay, okay, I could, there's a concept, I can get behind the concept. Okay. You know, so I, I did a first draft that was like, I thought it was like, you know, it's like 45 minutes long <laughs> or something. And then, and then, and then we started cutting it and cutting it. And of course, because I'm, I'm trying to sneak in some deep cuts into, into the first draft and, <laughs> and and it's like no, nah, you can't do that. You, you don't want to play this little this little snippet from the middle of of uh, some obscure section of Alive Again, you know, from the Grand <laughs> Experiment, and uh, it's going to go by too quick. You know, it's out of context. You know, so let's let's do some of the call or let's do you know. So you know, we went back and forth, you know, uh, a bit and came up with what we came up with, and and I was happy with it. And not being a typically a big fan of medleys, I. I thought, okay, it, and then I, and then, Christian Rios did that incredible, like intro, like so we did like that sort of. We wanted the idea that we would we were going to rewind right from the last song that we played back through to the fur to testimony, right? <laughs> and so I had done the audio this audio montage, and and I just sent it to to Christian, and he came back with this like rewind video that's like perfectly in sync. <laughs> with that i couldn't believe he did that it was amazing that is cool yeah, yeah he's amazing uh you know what i don't want to give too much away for people that haven't heard of what the what songs are in it you know we'll, um, we'll leave that as a surprise but um i just the opening bit that that goes into it just lends so great into the second song you go into you know that second song sounds like an opener there it's it just it just works so well, all the pieces that how you put them in. So I think that's what that's what makes it special. And um, you know, and after listening to just one album on that tour, it was a great way to listen to some of the other songs that you guys had put out. You know, it was a nice added right. thing, which um, yeah. which I think was great. Yeah, and that's always a frustration. I know, like you want to hear, even if you even if you think the new album is the greatest album ever. How, you know, you don't get very many chances to see the band play live, and so you want, you still want to hear some of the old catalog. You know, you want to hear the classic tunes or 
And when you, you know, when you're playing a double album for the whole show, what, yeah. what can you do? Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, and it's long and it's, you know, it's tough. I mean, uh, what, uh, what else is going on in your world? Any other music things you want people to know about? You have all, you had the, uh, we came from space <clears throat> release a, a year prior to that. That was a, a great album. You doing anything yeah. with them or anything else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, gosh, I don't, don't even know when we did it now, but it was like, wasn't last year or the year before now uh, we're yeah. pretty slow about putting out albums but the we came from space project for those who don't know is uh, basically uh me reconnecting with some high school friends uh and doing doing music that was sort of in the style of what we were listening to in high school so it was it was it's some prog it's some album oriented rock there's a mix of um you know even some punkish kind of stuff or, or, or new wave kind of borderline kind of stuff. Uh, we, we've done two albums so far with a little bit of a different lineup and different sound between the two, but that's sort of that. It's just sort of a fun thing. And we, our last, uh, so the second album that came out last year or, or the year before, uh, we just, one day we just decided it was done and we just threw it up on uh band camp and, and released it. And, I had no idea who would like it or would care. And, and we got such a strong feedback from it. Uh, we couldn't believe, I mean, it was, people just really loved it. And, and, uh, we don't tour yet, but we haven't really done much, just done a few shows around Pittsburgh where, where we live. Um, uh, I really love that album. Do. It was, yeah. that was a great, great release and a complete surprise. Not, yeah, not thanks, anything yeah. anyone expected at that time. So yeah, I hope yeah. you guys do some more stuff. That was great. Yeah. And I, I think, and I think that's it worked because it was a surprise. No one saw it coming. If we had hyped it, right? I think, I think it wouldn't have been as interesting. I think it was more interesting because it just came out of nowhere. But we are, we are working on a new album. We're about half done uh, with it. Um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's an evolution from what we did the last album. So we'll see. No, no, no schedules or don't know yet if it's going to be another independent release or. Or a label release, but uh, I'll talk more about it when we get something going. Cool, cool. And any any Neil Morse band plans on the horizon or anything? Well, we 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 penciled in some time this spring to work on a new album. That's really cool. all. That's really all of it. That's all I really I know. I can't say anything <laughs> else. <laughs> That's it. All right. And is that something? Do you have a, do? You, is that a process where you kind of when that starts to appear, you're kind of gathering bits of ideas or. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have, and I always have leftover ideas from the last time too, that we can we look at like, uh, um, you know, there were songs on both our last two albums that were left over from the previous album. Yeah. Um, so just everybody has, you know, such, there's no shortage of material. So, do you ever uh, uh, you ever write anything or have you in the in the last months or something that you know you've written a song or even just a chorus or something and you're just like freaked out about you you think it's the most fantastic thing so you just have to send it to Neil or Mike right away like you guys got to listen to this. Well, there there's a there's a couple of bits on, on the new weekend from Space album that I think I think they would love and I I can't wait to share it but I don't want to. I have a hard time sharing unfinished ideas. Like I want it to be, you know, represent what I'm hearing in my head. So I've been holding back 
sending things to those guys. But but there's one I've told Mike a couple times. Oh, Mike, when you when you hear this song, you're going to freak out because I just know <laughs> you get to know what they like, right? You know, and yeah. you know what what's what buttons this is going to push. You know, <laughs> that's so. cool. That's fun. Uh, all right, cool, man. Well, that's exciting. Always keep us posted. You know, we're big fans. Um, and uh, all right, so let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to do top five ELO songs. Uh, I, as always, we didn't discuss. Could be any eras, whatever. Um, I'm assuming no Jeff Lynn solo stuff, but, you know, I don't know. Jeff so always surprises me. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you never know what he's going to pick. Um, all right, so, Bill, why don't we go with you uh, if you're ready? Your number five uh, choice. Okay. Um I'm sure it was hard for you guys to make a list too. It was hard for me. Um, my stuff's going to be more, maybe not so much the deep cuts, but I still love these songs and, and uh, excited to talk about them. My number five is uh, the diary of horse wimp yeah, from uh, discovery. Awesome. Um, this song, uh, you know, that album came out sort of at the end of the disco era. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of that kind of, vibe especially in the, i think the string arrangements or have a little bit of that that kind of elaborate sort of grandiose over the top kind of thing going on uh but i still think it's it's really super cool there's obviously throughout the entire catalog there's over the top beetle influences and and i like this one because it's not it's them like stuffing all the stuff that they like about the beatles into a song as like you know like an homage to to this and that and and not like not trying to be which not trying to be like okay we we want to write songs like the beatles uh because i think some of the songs are like that i think this is more about these cool production things that they do that are just cool just for the sake of like we love this and we're going to put it in a, in a song and it's a fun story song and i think you know yeah. It reminds me of, uh, uh, like, you know, Beatles songs, of course, like, you know, Maxwell Silverhammer with the, sort of the story kind of thing that's going on. And, of course, the, the whole end section is sort of like the, you know, on the walrus kind of building thing going on and, and, yeah, and all that. Yeah. I think I just think it's a fun song with a fun story and just it's goofy. It's just goofy and let's not take ourselves too seriously, you know, so I just like it. Just knock on the door Well, he just stood there Mumbling and fumbling Then a voice from above Said, Horace Wimp This is your life Go on and find yourself a wife It's the 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 lyrical twist in it about um, what is it? It's because it's Horace Wimp. This is your life. Go out and find yourself a wife. And then Horace Wimp. This is your li- wife. Go out and find yourself yeah. a life. Right. Like exactly. it's not. Exactly. You know, yep. It's exactly. not. It's not. You know. It's the. It's the. Low, you know the kinks lola it's you know pictures of lily by the who where you find out that you know she's a dead movie star it's uh it's uh obla de obla da where it's desmond stays at home and does his pretty face and molly's the singer of the band i that kind of almost touch there is actually a 
I don't know if you guys know this, and this is where I, I geek out. Roy, Roy, Roy says about he never knows what I'm going to come out with. So yeah. there is, a, you talked about the subtlety of the Beatles tribute. Um, for anyone who has never heard it, the ELO made an album called Secret Messages, and originally it was a double album. Mm-hmm. And the record company said, no, it needs to be a single. Right. And so they cut a lot of stuff from it. And they recently put it out um, on vinyl with with all of the tracks bar one and and, and um, that were originally meant to be on it. And the one that they left off is a track called Beatles Forever. And um, it is, look at it, look up, you can hear it on YouTube, look up ELO Beatles Forever on YouTube and you can tell why Jeff Lynn doesn't want it released. <laughs> it's absolutely, it, you know, it's like there's something about a Beatles song that lasts forever. You know, it's the most cheesy, terrible, <laughs> terrible yeah, thing. I actually haven't and heard it, that. I'm, I, I got to check you know, that out. It's skated and by it's me. Like, and, it, you know, the chorus is just the names of Beatles songs. And it's, oh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really... Um, yeah it's 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 the tribute that went wrong and and but of course everything everything ever is on youtube so check check that out for a bit of fun they did something cool for for the release of discovery back then which i don't know if a lot of people have ever seen but they they made a a video for every song on the album and released it as like an hour-long show or something that video album that you could see and that no who did that back then i mean you're talking 19 what 1980 1979 79 so i mean that's that's crazy and i remember the video for this which was particularly cheesy um but uh, but also the other thing i always thought was funny with this song at the end they they list off the days of the week in repetition you know but they they leave off saturday because it just didn't fit (laughs) you know the syllables it doesn't work that always stuck out to me it was funny but i I love that song friday sunday friday sunday Um, yeah, great, uh, great first choice. Nice. And, um, yeah, not entirely a big hit. So that so perfect. All right, Jeff, you're up. Okay. Number five. Um, so again, I, I tried, um, you know, so many ways I could have taken this, um, but I, I thought I would at least pick two or three songs, which would demonstrate kind of the, the prog type credentials. Um, so my number five is, is Daybreaker from um, On the Third Day album. Okay, yeah, you're right. um, that is deep. <laughs> and uh, again, I appreciate, uh, I, I may be talking about a song that um, people may not be massively familiar with, but if, if you listen to this, um, it, it's the first track, uh, the first sort of pr- proper album that they recorded um, after Roy Wood left, and it kind of had Jeff Lynn, Bev Eva, and Richard Tandy, who even still play some keyboards for them, Mick Kaminsky, the guy with the, the blue violin. Um, and it's this triumphant kind of fanfare that's a bit like Bach or Handel or something like this, but it's also, and it's got the strings doing all that kind of stuff. And then this mini Moog or synth of some sort doing sort of Keith Emerson type stuff all melded together. Um, and uh, I mean, there's actually bits of it. I mean, it predates it by probably three or four years, but there's actually bits of it that you listen to it and go ELP, you know, pretty much ripped off fanfare um, for the common man from from parts of this where you can hear the um, the drums and the bass kind of playing that doom, 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 doom type thing. Um, and there's a really where, where it, it, 
became their sort of show opener at that time. So there's a live album called, I think, The, the Night the Light Went Out on Long Beach, which was like a radio broadcast that they stuck out as a live album. And the live version of it is absolutely fantastic. You can just tell how it's the you know, perfect, perfect show opener. So a very, a very prog yellow track. couple of things about that album was that the hit from it showdown yeah. right was not re- was only on the u.s release on the album yeah. originally it was right. just a single um and also i just learned this but that mark bolin played on the record did you know that uh, it, he um he there certainly are songs that he he plays on i'm not sure that they actually made it to the final album but i know that on some of the reissues his versions are oh, on but yeah it. he was Maybe it was he, he was. There are there are versions with with him playing on it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, all right. So I went, I went, I went back and li- and listened to the first couple albums uh, that I had never really checked out before in preparation for today, just to see what kind of stuff was on there. And and I really thought that that the third album was 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 pretty proggy. Uh, and in fact, that I I would say I haven't I haven't discussed this with Neil, but. I, I would say he probably was familiar with this album because if you listen to New World Rising, uh, <laughs> boy, it sounds an awful lot like. Uh, I, I'm not going to say what it sounds like, but, but if you know his catalog and you listen to that song, there's a section in there. It's like, oh wow. <laughs> I got I, I, I got to pick that out. I got to see if I can place it. I never thought of it, but yeah, that could that could That's be. Great. You'll get homework from this podcast. It's brilliant. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> uh, that's cool. All right. Uh, all right. I'm going to go. Um, I'm not going too far back. Um, while I do like Third Day and El Dorado, the third and fourth records, I, I struggle with having a specific favorite song off of those. Um, for me, my fandom really kicks off with the fifth album, Face the Music. Um, and I guess that's when they really started to have some big hits, Evil Woman, Strange Magic are on those. Of course, everybody knows those songs uh, played to death. Um, but the song I'm going to pick uh, is actually Night Rider, which um, is, may- you know, maybe not the proggiest song uh, from a technical level, but just, I mean, there's so many layers of you know, musical, musical parts, the orchestration and background vocals all over the place. And just so many things going on that if you really dive deep into listening to that song, it's, it is pretty incredible. Um, And it's, uh, it's got a great hook and it also features, uh, I think it's one of one of only a few songs where Jeff Lynne isn't the only person singing lead. Um, the bassist Kelly, is it Grocut? Do you know how to pronounce Grocut. his last name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he he uh, he sings lead on uh, a part in that song as well, and yep. uh, so I I do love this album. One Summer Dream is great. Waterfall is great. Um, uh, just a fantastic record. It's a great starting point album, I think for for anybody that wants to check out 
some of the older stuff, but maybe he struggles with, you know, the first few records. I think this one is, is just a, a home run. It's a it's a fantastic album, and uh, yeah, again one of those um, yeah the 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 second vocalist thing um, played. We we've, we've talked about this on a, a whole lot of the podcast. Kansas doing it, and um, it was the last one I can't remember now. But yeah, it was great having that kind of sort of contrast. I mean, they do sound quite similar sometimes. They do. But You're the, almost wondering if um, it's a different person or not. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Strange Magic is another sleeper uh, favorite it, of mine. In fact, whenever. I don't know if you ever heard the the ELO part two. Whenever Jeff Lynne moved on, the guys kind of put put a sort of touring version together with kind of some some of the guys from the band. And yeah. Kelly Crocker pretty much did all the lead vocals, and you know it was pretty uh, indistinguishable. Sometimes didn't they have like didn't they get like Dave Mason or something to wasn't he in there? Or so, no, some, um, class, some it, famous seventies guy uh, that that took it was uh, Peter guy from the climax blues band peter haydock i think mm. yeah but they had a lot of people in there yeah yeah uh all right cool good first round all right bill you're up you're number four <clears throat> all right so i'm gonna this is uh sacrilegious maybe to some but i'm gonna move into the 80s uh, <laughs> yeah, post, i got plenty of 80s coming up don't worry yeah <laughs> post uh string section albums and uh this this really speaks to me and it's uh because it it came out in '81. This is from uh, um, what was that album called? Time. Uh, time. Some time. Yeah. Um, and it was right around the time when Abacab came out, and and I was a real sucker for anything that just had like that eighth note bass, you know, just driving on with the chords changing around it. So the first time I heard Twilight, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" And just the the way the vocals are produced on that song. Um, and it just it just scratched that itch because I wanted to hear, you know, more songs like that and that, that just that early '80s analog production with just like the droning synth bass note going and with the chords moving over top of it, and uh, yeah. and I just I think the verse the verse melody and the, and the and I think probably the 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 hook the chorus is probably the weakest part of the song, uh, <laughs> but but the um, you know the verse chords and the melody just will just work for me.
I, yep. I love that album to death. I think it's one of their best albums. Um, and it's a concept record. I mean, so while it's not, again, the thing with their version of being progressive or doing prog rock in a sense was more conceptual always. It wasn't in terms of technicality, but this is a really cool concept record. And they actually have two, yep. two of them, El Dorado being the first one. But this is all about futuristic stuff and time travel and, and story. You can sort of kind of piece it together. It's not that well-defined, but um, that, that's an amazing record and one of my all-time favorites. I think that, I think the thing about I actually was reading, again, reading up on that album um, just before and on Wikipedia, and it says, it says uh, that time was was their most influential album and then in brackets afterwards as it sometimes does say in wikipedia it says citation required (laughs) (laughs) but 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 i think the point of it is that you know everything that was going on with you know in the uk the human league ultravox those kind of synthy bands who also had you know were using a lot of drum machines and all that kind of things whereas sort of jefflin took all the melodic burly keyboard stuff but he still had this you know massive uh you know crashing uh drum sound like the start of that song the kind of the the way the phase drums kick in it made it you know it 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 took the best of both and blended them together and and you you almost didn't didn't miss the strings because it was a was a brand new thing yeah completely agree yeah awesome choice uh all right jeff you're number four Number four, I'm back to face the music, and I'm the track after the one that you picked, Roy. So, okay. uh, po- poker. Yep. Um, and that's a very Jeff Bailey song. I could totally. That's a see. very. Je- well, I rem- I remember. Again, a lot of my ELO came listening came from. I have an uncle who lives in England who who was and indeed still is very into them, and we used to go over and stay with him every Easter, and. Um, I would I would uh, record his yellow albums on the cassette tapes. Sorry, sorry, yeah, to to the artist who I wrote, but I promise you, I've, I've bought everything pretty much at least once or twice since then to make up for it. Um, but poker was just, and again, that that thing of a brilliant guitar riff, but also you know the you know the the strings really um, kicking in it. But what I didn't realize about it, back to what we talked about earlier on. Was Jeff Lynne doesn't sing lead vocal on it. It's all it's all um, Kelly, and um, you know it's got the again Moog arpeggios. It's got the um, you know the 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 drop down that happens in the middle, mm-hmm. and then it all kicks in again. Just um, it, you know, I'll, I'll I'll confess, you know, in my uh, tennis racket in front of the mirror or guitar or guitar days yeah. <laughs> what was guitar because I was using the tennis racket you know poker was my favorite one the one thing the one thing that I um was always uh, always remember about it was that uh there's a line in it which says and get your blood they might and, and I thought it was a bad word in the middle of that song because <laughs> it's sort of get you <laughs> and I always used to have to be really careful playing that around my parents um, but uh, then I realised that actually wasn't a bad word after all so it's good yeah Fun. poker so really <laughs> great
good choice. Um, okay, I'm going to go. My number four. Um, there's very few songs that are straight up massive pop hits that I hook to and cling to as f- uh, favorites. But I had of all of their big hits and I love them. I love Mr. Blue Sky and Don't Bring Me Down and, and, and some of those songs. My favorite of the bunch that when they play it live, it just gives me goosebumps uh, always is Living Thing. That's, so that's going to yeah. be my number four. I think it's it's in the discussion for me of most perfectly written pop song. Uh, the the chord sequence and the melodies and how they and how they mesh with each other is just so perfect. Um, I, it's almost like a like a clinic in how to write a hook. The entire song is a hook. Every last bit of it. And uh, probably very sappy also, but it just is a is a it, that little you know the horn part that kind of flows in there. Um, it, it's just tremendous, uh, and it's I think it's just the most perfect song he's ever written from from that perspective of like straight up hit single. I just. I get what you're saying. It is, you know, it's a lot of these songs that I, I kind of glossed over when I was looking down because at one point or another, you know, the, the you know, the, the pop tunes, you know, I really liked all of these songs, but some of them, some of them, you know, I just, am, I'm not interested in, in hearing it anymore. I've heard it enough. And, and yeah. so, so it's hard for me to say, you know, that's going to be on my list of my favorite songs, but, that doesn't mean it's a bad song. It just means it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, I generally nine out of ten times I'm with you. I mean, that's generally how we go on this podcast. We almost never, <laughs> never pick. I mean, we did a podcast of Queen, and none of us picked Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You know what I right. mean? Exactly. Um, yeah. All right, Bill, you're number three. All right. All right. So fun, fun trivia. Yeah. Uh, when we're when we're writing with Neil Morrisband, I'm always trying to get the guys to put in, we need, we need, I call it, I call it the power chord solo where the <laughs> song stops and it's just like these power chords playing for just a short break. And then you get back into something and, and they, they never want to do it. But, but <laughs> w- one of the, one of the places where my love for that has come from is my number three, which is do ya. Yeah. I knew that you were yeah. going there. <laughs> and, and, and when I was a kid, and I just heard those chords, the opening chords, and then later on in the, in the song, what it would stop and do it again. I was like, ah, you know, I just love those breaks and, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, every band that would do it back in the seventies in Boston or, you know, even Kansas did a bunch of, had a bunch of songs with power chords. So what I call power chord solos. And, uh, so that, that was really cool. But the thing that I loved about it, I was really into like, you know, the seventies power pop, 
when I was younger, like Sweet, bands like Sweet. And so this, the stacked vocals on this reminded me so much of like songs like Fox on the Run, yeah, you know, or something yeah. where you have that that power pop vocal stacking that would happen. And then the and then the other thing I love about it is the the way the bridge breaks down and gets soft. I always liked songs that when the bridge would would kind of get softer for a moment and then would kick back in again. And I just think I just think it's perfectly done. It's just such a well crafted power pop song. Yeah. And I don't I don't know that they really you could put all of their songs in different buckets. You have like you know the the Beatley songs and the and the um, maybe the old time rock and roll songs or the Royal Orbison style songs. Yeah. But I don't really think I can't think of any other ones that are like just straight up power pop like this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so that's my number three. Love that song. Rocker by them for sure. I think it's sort of cheap. It's like it's sort of you know cheap trick nearly sort of built on that. They'll know they were probably around similar sort of time, but it was it's it's very much like that. And as you say, there's not a lot of those types of things in their um, in their catalog. But no, it's it's a, it, was, it was another air guitar, air guitar t- uh, tennis racket guitar <laughs> as well. You know, it's just per- perfect, perfect yep. for that. <laughs> awesome, uh, cool. All right, Jeff, you're number three. Number three, um, I think, um, yeah, you know, Out of the Blue it was a standout album, and uh, you know, I wanted to pick something from it, and I could have picked any number of things from it, um, and I just love the is it side three, the Concerto for a Rainy Day that starts with Standing in the Rain and ends with. Um, Mr. Blue Sky, you know, that in itself is a kind of a, again, for anyone into Prague, if you listen to those tracks as a sort of a, a, a con, you know, a 20 minute concept, because um, that's what they were, were put together. Um, I think, again, when I saw um, ELO, the Standing in the Rain, you know, perfect show opener. Yeah. Um, and you know it it builds up and um just again the orchestral element um you know melded with the band out of the blue was probably the last you know very very symphonic um you know where they where they they had a lot of that symphonic type stuff and i think that that kind of side this that side of the album um was was probably I don't know I imagine a case of well you know how can we take this idea any further because we've done you know sort of the 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 ultimate um, and the and the fun fact that I found out about this is uh, if you if you know the intro again if you want to go in fact you could you can insert it in here this little bit up 
one minute oh seven, and there's the strings go, and that's Morse code for ELO. Is that so that's for real? They did that on purpose? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did that on purpose. Um, so that's that's the kind of attention to detail that, that, that went into that um, record. So yeah, start standing the rain from out of the blue. That is a cool one. It is. It is an amazing show opener and, and uh, uh, very cool orchestral instrumental kind of thing that they do. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, listen, we'll get to that for me as well, but I, that album is, is amazing. Um, all right, so I'm going to go, uh, well, interesting. We have a tie for another song. Um, my number three is from the Time album, and it was also uh, Twilight um, that Bill picked uh, earlier. Um, I just, again, I think I said it, but this album was, was right there when I was starting to listen to music on my own, really young, and... This album just really just it it took you to another place. The whole the whole sci-fi storyline and the whole thing, 21st Century Man, which is really cool. I always always gravitated to that song. Another song that I really, really like on this album is Here Is the News. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is just awesome. And it was oh it was between that and Twilight for, for the two. And I almost switched it, but I'm not. I'm going to stick with Twilight just because it is really my favorite song. But uh, th- the the cool part about Twilight is actually also the opening, the prologue with that guy, the 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 electronic oh, yeah. voice thing. So cool! And it's it's so neat. And and on the um, live in Wembley thing that they just released a, a year ago, they do this song in the middle of the show, and they do they include the whole opening and the whole thing, which is uh, just really really cool. So. Uh, all right, so we'll go with Twilight off of time, and I, and I think that um, I, I still think this album is uh, so eclectic, so diverse, so, such genius, and uh, you know the big hit off of it was actually "Hold On Tight to Your Dreams," yeah. but which is easily one of my least favorite songs the band ever did. <laughs> uh, right. right? It's just it, like it just I don't even know how it makes sense in this record. But so if yeah. you if you want to revisit this record, but you always hated that song, it's really at the end. So you could listen to the whole thing <laughs> and end with 21st Century Man, <laughs> which is a great ending and just be done. And it's a tremendous record. Yeah. And that was always my my, you know, one of the things that sort of kept me sort of out of the ELO spectrum was uh, not that they're bad songs. I was just never really into like that kind of old-timey rock and roll, you know, just based on a blues progression kind of, of yeah, a thing. Yeah, I don't and, know how those they, songs were the hits. I, I was, it always yeah. used to, like, confuse me. And then on Secret Messages, the one hit was Rock and Roll is King, which is another kind yeah. of, you know, uh, a rockabilly uh, right. type, type of yeah. thing on an album that is not remotely like that in any other way. And, right. uh, but, but but let me but let me tell you from from this side of the pond, 
that was a very, very big and a very popular sound at that time. Um, like, you know, and this is probably one of the things because I think there's probably a number of bands and artists who, if I mentioned them, you, you guys probably would never have heard of. But in the early 80s, there was this in the UK as well as all the kind of Human League and Ultravox and all that kind of stuff, there was this 1950s revival. There was a guy called Shaking Stevens, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, he was, a, this is true, he was a Welsh Elvis impersonator. <laughs> and, and he had, you know, hundreds of number ones doing stuff like, you know, those kind of old, you know, this old house and, uh, you know, doing the kind of Elvis hip shake. You know, and that was that was very popular in the UK, and I think that that's part of the reason where where that came from. And obviously, Jeff Lynne himself is, you know, is a is a is a is a rock and roller, um, and and my guess is those things. Well, if you think it, you know, it, it it's it's it it is quite out of place sometimes, but it's also probably the only sort of upbeat, happy song on the album. You know, most of it's pretty deep, and right. um, you know, in, in that respect. So so uh, so I guess because I can remember. You know, ticket to the moon. I mean, that was in the charts in the UK, and I just, I remember it the first time hearing it going, oh, it seems totally depressing. I kind of get it now, but sort of back then. It, no, that's such a um, yeah, but it's such a cool song. I mean, you know, and it, it creates such imagery, and it's, it's really cool. It just it's it's just weird how hold on tight was was the hit, and and also a weird thing was always the hits were like the last song on the album for three consecutive <laughs> yeah. albums. Which that doesn't happen either. Don't Bring Me Down was the last song on Discovery. Hold On Tight on Time. And Rock and Roll is King on uh, on Secret Messages, the final song on the records. Yeah. Which is yeah. A, a weird True. little thing. All yeah. right, uh, Bill, you're number two. All right. So this is the, uh, the sort of the oddball song for me. Um, I, I don't know why I like it so much. Like, it's hard for me to explain, but it's a telephone line. Uh, yeah. New World Record. It is, it is, it is. But it's like, a, if I were to list the attributes of the song, I'd be like, you know, it's kind of a ballady thing with a, you know, the, I don't know. It, it, but it was, I, I would say that I think this is one of the most emotional vocal performances uh, for, for Jeff. I think that the opening line of the song. It's just dripping with emotion. I I really believe it, you yeah. know, when he's singing, and and I think that the chorus melody, except for the turnaround and the chorus, is pretty stock progression one six four five kind of a progression. And for those who are into studying chord progressions, mm -hmm. but it's the melody over that is just so incredibly satisfying, um, and uh, I just think it's, it's I just think it's a beautiful song. Um and, yeah. and emotional. Just love it.
argue. It's it's one of the one of his best songs. I, it's great. It's just perfect. Yeah. And again, a, a sort of a, a sort of song of almost sort of desperation. You know, it's really uh, you know quite you know, okay. So no one's answering. You know, it's quite quite um, let it ring forevermore, isn't that it? You know, you just yeah, you can tell it's sort of it must be a kind of the. Uh, you know we're 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 blessed with mobile phones and the internet now, but to me it to me it always struck me as the it's the the seventies musician on tour, you know who who just can't get through or uh, yeah. can't hear from his his family. Oh, he, just, you know? he just sounds so incredibly lonely, like you just hear it. Yeah, just, and, and lyrically it's <laughs> it's very like simple and relatable, right? Just, yeah, yeah, it is. It works. It works really well, and I'm just a, a massive hit from them. Um, from a uh, new world record, which is, I mean, that album's full of hits too. Um, all right, Jeff, you're number two. Um, I'm going to complete the trilogy because guess what? I've got twilight too. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been thinking uh, in the That's last so kind of three minutes, I've been going through my head going, uh, because I, I mean, I, I, I loved, um, I loved Secret Messages was an album that I loved way more than I loved um, Time. I have to say, at, at the time, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And there's so many tracks on Secret Messages, uh, Danger Ahead and Secret Messages um, that, that I loved. But when you have to make a choice in these things, um, you know, everything that's been said already, um, the keyboards, the phase drums, the where the vocals go from that, you know, the falsetto down to the, the real roots of the dream with nothing that is in between, you know, you know, it's a great, and then there's a classical piano break in the middle of it. You know, you know, there's just so much richness in in that one song. And I think, as I said before, brilliant, brilliant live. I love those kind of set opener type, you know, I think at least, three or three of mine are, are those kind of songs that open a show with type stuff. So Twilight gets, gets, uh, unanimous all around. Very cool. Yeah. You know what, you know what he, he's done, uh, to switch the song around, uh, cause the beginning is a, is a, a synth kind of keyboard sound on live. Now when they play it, he does that main riff with electric guitar Yeah, and it totally yep. works. It actually yep. updates the song in a, in a very cool way. Uh, so yep. I like that. All right, cool. That was surprising that we all had that that one of all the songs. Um, all right, my number two. Uh, I sort of had it. Sim- my num- my top two were were defined for me from the minute we decided to do this. Um, you were, you talked about Secret Messages as being your favorite al- one of your favorite albums. Uh, it, it was for me as well. And uh, my number two is the title track, Secret Messages. Um, yep. I just think it's just the greatest, coolest song. It is a total kind of prog number to me. To me, um, very futuristic. The whole production, everything, 
the sounds and the landscape of, of how everything works. You know, the, the, the secret to almost all of his songs is the acoustic guitar. There, yeah. It's almost in every song just strumming acoustic guitar. And then he layers 8 million things over it. But <laughs> to its core, it's yeah. all acoustic guitar strum, strumming songs. And uh, I just love this one. And one of the great joys uh, in a live show that I've ever had was when I, I mentioned that Radio City show that I flew up to see. He played this song, which was oh, well. just incredible, unexpected, out of nowhere. This album was never was never on my radar. Like when I was looking looking at the albums in preparation, I was like, "Secret messages? What's? I don't know this one." And and so I put it on, listened to it, and I was just I listened to it once, and I was just struck by the songwriting. It was like every it was like bam, every song I was like, "Wow, that was really good. Wow, that was really good. That was really good." And so I'm looking forward to spending a lot more time. Yeah, uh, with this album. Going no, that's through. a really underrated sleeper album. That with their sort of popularity was dwindling at this time, and and uh, uh, overlooked by by then they had a million hits, and it was sort of like he was trying to figure out how to still do this. I think, you know, mm-hmm. get, moving away from the orchestration a lot and trying trying to figure out what he was wanting to do. Um, I by the way, we're not. I'm sure we're not going to get to it, but the album that came after is Balance of Power. While it's a total pop keyboard synth record. Um, also great <laughs> and i like that one yeah. too um, yeah it's a lot of good songs on that uh all right bill you're number one all right and i hate to have to be this guy maybe uh, maybe i won't be the only guy but i had no choice but to go with mr blue sky all right uh, well, someone did but uh, and and i have a couple of reasons it's that if it comes on the radio i'm gonna turn it up i just you know and i'm just I love again for the same for some of the same reasons I love Diary of Horse Wimp. It has that on the nose, like we're just gonna we're just gonna unapologetically do this Beatles thing, and but they do their own spin on it. You know they don't. It's but uh, the the thing that I love most about it is this song. Unlike maybe uniquely in their catalog, has spanned generations in a very weird way. I don't know what happened a couple years ago. This song must have been somewhere. And all of a sudden, every kid knew this song. All my kids, like the whole, yeah. all the millennials, they all know and love this song. Like my daughter couldn't, like it was on repeat over and over and over again. And, I, yeah. and I'm not sure how it got on her radar. I don't know where, where this came from. And so anytime you have a song that's really even if you're tired of hearing it, it's arguably an incredibly well-written, great, fun song. And if you have that 
where mom and dad can listen to it right along with, with their kid teenagers and they're just loving it. That's a win for me. Look, I I love this song. Um, it's not not in my top five, but yeah, it, it it checks all the boxes. I mean, it's great. And and you're right. One of the things that is appealing about it or endearing about it is that everyone likes it. It you can't be in a bad mood and have this song on, <laughs> yeah. right? And but the thing that I really like and and the the prog lover in me, the the thing that sells me on this song is the sec is the ending. Yes. The the extra part or the coda or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, that part rocks. That's the money moment right there is that. Um, yeah, and, uh, totally. And so, uh, yeah, I love that. Fantastic song. All right, Jeff, you're number one. My number one, um, you know, it, it, you know, it could be Mr. Blue Sky, but it, uh, it's not. And again, I, I wanted, I wanted, I was, I knew I'd pick Deep Cuts earlier on. I wanted to pick something um, that again, I could say it's certainly one of my favorites. Um, so, um, their highest charting song in the UK, in the US, and Canada, Don't Bring Me Down. Um, I did not expect that to be your pick. Well, I, you know, I, it's it's wrapped up in the memory of, you know, again, a big rock song, uh, you know, a song that I played endlessly. It's got that kind of almost sort of piston-type kind of, rhythm type stuff and learnt in reading up it's actually um the drum part is actually a drum loop from from one of the earlier tracks um from on the run and they just looped it and kind of wrote a song over it and it was written uh, and we've talked about this before as well in some of the podcasts carry on wayward son and there was another song recently we talked about it was written at the very very last minute because there weren't enough rock songs on the album and he kind of just kind of knocked this one out, took a drum loop from another song, wrote a song over it, um, sung, you know, s- sung and had a, this nonsense goose <laughs> that we all know <laughs> in the chorus um, and just, you know, let, left it how it was um, and it became one of their one of their biggest hits and it's just, again, a kind of feel-good, uh, brilliant pop song. Um, I can't sure. say much more about it than that. almost have a um it, it's almost like a checklist of songs you need to close out a show and <laughs> they have like the last four songs typically have been telephone line so you got the big ballad 
uh, uh, turn to stone to sort of like, yep. you know, upbeat rocker. Disco. Don't bring, don't bring me down, which is the, we will rock you, stomp your feet, you know, and then Mr. Blue Sky, the big grand ending where everybody's singing. And it, it, those four in consecutive order are just like a, a, just a barrage of hits. Yeah. And you got one of each of everything you need at the end of the show to sort of close it out, which um, which that that's what Don't Bring Me Down is. It's great. It's a great live song. Um, now, now, Bill, I've, I've got a question for you uh-huh. about this. In the context of this song, what does what's the significance of me going moo <laughs> don't bring me cows <laughs> so, so I, t- yeah. <laughs> I, tell I, the story you can tell it uh, well i so <laughs> i uh, um uh, i'm associated with uh, a christian parody band called apologetics who who sets uh kind of the what their tagline for a long time was uh uh, Weird Al meets Billy Graham, you know. So they would take uh, take you know scriptures and Bible verses or whatever you know stories and put them to as parodies, pop songs, and frequently very 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 witty and very well done. And so there's a there's a one called "Don't Bring Me Cows" that was talking about uh, sac- sacrifices or, or something. I forget which scripture that was. I mean, uh, but uh, but yeah, so it was. Uh, that was so that's what he's talking about but yeah it's fun fun (laughs) that's Uh, funny and of course is don't bring me instead of the groose there's a big cow um, and it's from and the album that it's from is called recovery and has a and has the has the guy in the cover holding a what what do you call those the was it simon simon (laughs) so you know remember the simon remember the multicolored four quadrant you're probably too young to remember that roy I, but it, obviously the, Simon, the discovery, I, know, I know Simon come on yeah yeah so well you know the discovery album cover is the guy holding the yellow spaceship well in the oh, yeah, right. cover he's he's holding us <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's funny that's another the, one to look, look yeah. up on YouTube <laughs> but the, but my favorite part my favorite part of, of don't bring me down I mean that's like who doesn't you know you gotta love that song I mean the hand clap the hand clap solo who doesn't clap along with that who doesn't clap <laughs> yeah. along with everybody no, you're right you, you do. Uh, all right i guess i'll close out with my number one which is was an easy pick for me because it's a, it's been my favorite song by them forever uh it's uh from out of the blue wild west hero oh, um which great. is uh I, I this song just gets me i just love the whole thing the the epicness of it the whoa, whoa, whoa part, uh, you know, when you, as it just keeps building and building and building and gets higher every single time. And it's just tremendous. I just think it's so cool. And then even cooler is the inexplicable Western piano that gets into the song <laughs> for no reason, which is total prog to me. Like that part yeah. doesn't make sense at all in that song, except because he's talking Wild West Hero and it creates a whole picture of it. Um I just love, uh, you know, when they, when they do the acapella breakdown in the middle uh, and then the music comes back in and just has keeps building and doing this epic grand ending. It's just it's uh, it's very Neil Morris band epic ending. It's it's the, it's the similar kind of thing to me. That's my favorite thing in all of music is when you can do these big epic, you know, grand endings with orchestras and strings and harmonies and uh, just always appeals to me. 
I just love that song. It always reminds, reminds me. I love that song too. It reminds me not. I don't know. It like when I whenever I hear it, I always think of Cowboy Star from Ambrosia, off of somewhere <laughs> I don't in the know travel. That one, yeah. With the because it has like that kind of cowboy music break in the middle of it, and uh, it's just it's just incredible. Yeah, I'll so check good. that out. That's a very cool. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, guys, I think we did. Uh, this was actually a lot of fun. And uh, we covered, uh, you know, Bill, you, you brought the hits. So that's good. We needed to, we needed <laughs> to throw those in. And Jeff, you surprised us all with Don't Bring Me Down. <laughs> um, I always like to do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, uh, and we got Twilight on three of them. So that's very cool. Um, all right. So hopefully you guys uh, stuck around and enjoyed a little bit of ELO. Uh, and uh, maybe learn something about this band that you didn't know. And, uh, of course, don't forget the Neil Morse Band, the Live in Brno uh, set is out on March 6th, and a couple of videos from it are already online. Then Welcome to the World and uh, Dark Melody. You can check that out and see what it looks like and sounds like. And, uh, Bill, man, great to have you and doing this with us. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right. And uh, don't forget... Thank you. All our other podcasts and everything are online. Oh, we just launched uh, a top 30 albums from 2000 to 2019, the last 20 years, which is a good list to uh, look at, learn about some records you might have missed or yell at us for albums we forgot to include. <laughs> and uh, Similitude of a Dream, Bill, I don't know if you saw it, but it is at number yeah. five. Thank so, you. Wow. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And uh, all right. We'll see you guys soon. Cool. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Oh, I wish I was.